0: Father's Day again. You know, I was counting up uh, this weekend and this is my 38th trip around the track as a father. I have three daughters. If you've got a daughter or a son, if you're a dad or a granddad here this morning, then a video like this can't help but tug at your heart. I look at Russ Hilton up here on the third row of the church this morning and uh, Julie is going to be home soon, and uh, you can think about her, and it seems like just yesterday she was that age. You know, where does it go? As a grandfather, as a dad, and many of you are younger fathers. I just mentioned Jeff out here earlier this morning. Uh, you're at a younger season in your life. But as I stand here this morning and as I think about being a dad, and as I look back from this point in my life, And as I look around at the fathers and what's happening in our country today, I can say this with all of the conviction in my heart. There's no more significant role in life than being a dad and investing in your children. There's just nothing more important than that. As you pass on the truth of the Scripture to your kids, Several years ago in Moody Monthly, there was an article printed that told the story of a young, successful attorney. And this is what he wrote. He said, the greatest gift that I ever received was a gift that I got one Christmas when my dad gave me a small box. And inside was a note saying, son, this year I give you 365 hours, an hour every day after dinner. It's yours. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about what you want to talk about, and we'll go where you want to go. We'll play what you want to play for that hour, and it will be yours. And this is how he concluded his little, this little uh, story. My dad not only kept this promise, but every year he renewed it, and it's the greatest gift I ever had in my life. I'm the result of his time. That's what this young attorney wrote. Now, I encourage you today to read the Bible. Take it home with you when you leave this morning. And just look at the Scripture again and remind yourself that the nuclear family and the role of father is mentioned over and over again in the Word of God. We see it on page after page, and if you picked up the notes this morning, then you can see there on the front page of your notes that we've given you a number of passages of Scripture that demonstrate the reality of the importance of what I'm talking about right now. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, You see Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 12 printed there in your notes this morning. The Jewish Shema, Shema, or however it's pronounced. I need to get Doug Burke up here to help me. But it talks about the nuclear family. And it talks about the role of mom and dad passing on the word of God from generation to generation. And you read the book of Psalms, one twenty seven twenty eight. Those passages are there for you in your notes as well this morning. You get to the New Testament and you read Ephesians chapter 6, 1-4 and Colossians chapter 3. And in book after book, page after page, the importance of the nuclear family and the role of father in the lives of children is mentioned throughout the scripture. Now, all of us know the importance of the role of father and the importance of a nuclear family. You didn't have to come to church this morning for me to preach this to you or for me to talk about this. You already get it, the significance and the importance of this role. And none of us are perfect dads and none of us are perfect grandfathers if you're here this morning. We all know that. I'm reminded of what James Dobson said many years ago when he said... If you don't have your home life in good order, you have no business teaching others how to handle theirs. On the other hand, he went on to write, no one is perfect at home. Is anybody in here, and I guess we've got to ask the sons and daughters now this morning, but does anybody in here this morning have a perfect dad or granddad? Absolutely not. We've all blown it somewhere, sometime, someplace. And that's what Dobson talks about. You can be no more perfect as a father or husband than you can be a perfect human being. You may know all the rules for all good family life, all the biblical principles. And we've given you a number of books and passages now just a minute ago. And yet, simple fatigue will affect your ability to implement them at certain times. We're all fallible. We're all human. And yet, God wants us to cultivate the heart of a father. And so, that's what we're going to look at now in the remainder of our time here in third, the book of Third John this morning. Now, you may be asking yourself, why the book of 3 John on Father's Day? I mean, we could have gone a lot of places. Why that book? This book, because I think we get or we see the heart of a father presented through the heart of John in his relationship with his spiritual children and his spiritual son or his brother in Christ, Gaius, as he writes to him here in this book of Scripture, None of us are perfect, but God wants us to be effective as dads and granddads. If you're investing in grandchildren today, if you're an uncle, if you're a significant male in the life of any child, and those are desperately needed today in this this nation, then notice the heart of a father as it's described here by John today. Now, the first thing I want you to notice, look at verse 1, which Doug read for us. The first thing I want you to notice in this book is the word beloved and then the word love here in verse 1. Notice the elder, which is the Apostle John, is writing to his son in the faith, Gaius, or his brother in Christ, Gaius, and he calls him beloved. Underline that word in verse 1. And then notice this phrase, of whom I love in the truth. This word, beloved, is a word which is repeated 10 times in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and four times in the book of 3rd John alone. And this verb, to love, is a verb which is repeated 31 times in these short epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's a theme which is repeated over and over again. Did you know that there are three men by the name of Gaius mentioned in the New Testament? If you're following along in your notes, we're at the bottom of page one right now. We've got them listed there for you. Gaius of Corinth mentioned in Romans 16, 13 and 1 Corinthians 1, 14. Gaius of Macedonia and Gaius of Derby. Now, we don't know which Gaius this is. That John is writing to. And in fact, it may be another man other than one of these three. But one thing we do know, he loved him. He loved him. Notice the words beloved and this, this, this verb to love. He loved Gaius and he loved these spiritual children that he's writing to. Now, the reason this is important is because unconditional love is the foundation of any Christian home. You can have all kinds of other ingredients, but if you don't love your kids, in fact, you can be an imperfect granddad, you can be an imperfect uncle, you can be an imperfect father, but if you don't love your nieces and your nephews, if you don't love your children, you can have all of that other stuff, but you'll fail miserably unconditional love is the foundation of any house whether it's a physical home or a spiritual house like a church and here john is writing to his spiritual children unconditional love should be the foundational mark of any home proverbs 10:12 says hatred stirs up dissension but love covers a multitude of sins And how many times have I blown it miserably with my kids? But you know what? They're still going to call me today. I know they will because their mother loved them. (laughs) And hopefully I did too. Love covers a multitude of sins. Unconditional love is the foundation Of any spirit, of any house, whether it's a church or a physical home. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 2 and 3 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have the gift of faith and I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. You can be the most successful, famous, wealthy, powerful father in the world. But if you don't have love, then you have nothing. Love is the foundation of every home and every family, whether it's a spiritual family or a physical home. And so we see this heart of love from the Apostle John. In fact, there's a a story that's passed down from the early church father by the name of Jerome. When John was the elder, when he was an elderly man, he was so physically disabled... This is back in the days before the time where I guess you had crutches and canes or walkers or the stuff that we have today or modern-day technology where you could go out and get your your joints repaired through surgery. And so they had to carry him to church. And they would carry him into church, and as this elderly statesman in his church, he just had a one-line sermon. You know what he would say? He would say, "'My little children.'" love one another. And every Sunday, they would carry him to church and he would say, my little children, love one another. And after a while, people got tired of hearing John just preach its one-line sermon, love one another. And so finally, somebody asked him. They said, why do you always tell us to love one another? And he said, because it's the Lord's command. And if this alone Be done, it is enough. And the epistles are filled with this theme unconditional love, the foundation of every Christian home. As my wife likes to say, in the end, love wins. Love your kids. Now, I want you to notice as we finish this up this morning the heartbeats of a loving father's heart. And the first thing that we see here in verse 2 as we continue on is that John prayed for Gaius and he prayed for his spiritual children. Look at verse 2. Out of this heart of love pours a heart of prayer for his spiritual kids. Beloved, he said, I pray that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And that's the NIV version. Now, notice he's praying for his son Gaius that he'll prosper in his journey through life. And that's a good translation of this Greek word. It's really a combination of two Greek words, which means may it go well with you on the road. That's what he's praying for May it go well with you on your journey or on the road. He's praying for his prosperity. Now, when I say the word prosperity, what do you think of? Well, you think of financial prosperity, don't you? I mean, we live in a country which worships at the altar of the almighty dollar. And the more money you have in the po- your pocket, the better off you are. We consider that you are prospering, that you are doing well if you're doing well financially. But that's not what John is praying for here. John isn't praying for their financial success and their, their prosperity in a material way. He's praying for their prosperity in every sense of the word, spiritually, physically, intellectually, and especially spiritually. Notice he says, may you prosper and you may, may it go well with you. May you be healthy as it is with, look at the end of the verse, as it is with your soul in a spiritual sense. So pray for your children's prosperity. But when you pray for that, don't think of just their success. Pray for their spiritual Prosperity. Now, if you're here a few weeks ago, I think it was on Mother's Day, I was telling you the story of the, the missionary John G. Patton and how he learned the importance of prayer in his life from his, from his father. I used that illustration that day. I've got another story up here with me this morning of another gentleman by the name of Parkhurst, Charles Parkhurst. He was a reformer in New York many, many years ago. And this is what he wrote. He said... My father prayed in church and my father prayed at the family altar and my father prayed at the family table, but it was only when I heard him praying aloud on his knees in the barn that I knew that, I knew that he knew the reality of prayer. John, in these verses of Scripture, is praying. He's praying for the prosperity the spiritual well-being of his children. Don't forget the importance of prayer. And then notice that he rejoiced in their right living. What do you rejoice in when you think of your kids? You know, when my children were growing up, when they were in high school, when they were in college, often we'd get emails. You know, it was back in the days before text messaging or we'd get a letter in the mail. And we many times get a letter or a note from somebody reporting to us how our children are doing. And as I think about it now, many times I would rejoice if my kids got on the honor roll. I would rejoice. I mean, what do we rejoice in? We rejoice if our kid makes the winning basket in a basketball game. We rejoice if they make the uh, winning goal. We rejoice in their success. But notice what John rejoices in here. He says here in verses 3 and 4, as he thinks about Gaius, this spiritual son or brother in Christ, and these spiritual children, he says, I rejoice greatly. And notice that the word truth is repeated three times in these verses of Scripture, that you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That image was repeated three times in this verse of Scripture. So what do you rejoice in? He rejoiced in their right living. Reminded of another story, very interesting story that I read several years ago of this coach of a basketball team. His, notes were, his, his name was Coach Cleveland Stroud, and he was coaching a basketball team at that time in Georgia, and they won the state championship in basketball. Their record was 21-5. And, and so here they are celebrating. They've won this state championship, and, and, and they're thinking they're pretty good, and then they discover after the season is over that one player who didn't have a significant role on the team got in for 45 seconds in one of the playoff games and he had been disqualified. And so the right thing to do is to give back their championship trophy because he shouldn't have been playing. So what do you do? Well, they gave back the championship trophy and this is what Coach Cleveland Stroud said, we didn't know that he was ineligible at the time. We didn't know that until a few weeks ago. Some people have said we should have just kept it quiet. He was only in for 45 seconds and he wasn't one of the starters. But you've got to do what's honest, he went on to say. And you've got to do what is right and what the rules say. I told my team that people forget the scores of basketball games. But they never forget what you're made of. Doing the right thing. Modeling the right thing as a coach or as a granddad or as a father. And rejoicing. Rejoicing in the right thing. What did John rejoice in here in these verses? He didn't rejoice in the fact that they got on the honor roll and they made the winning basket or the winning goal. He rejoiced in the fact that they were walking in the truth. They were living the right way. Now, notice the third heartbeat of a loving father in this passage of Scripture. Look at verses 5 through 12 just very quickly. And notice that John is concerned... For their character. In the middle section of this book, this very short book. He goes on now and he's going to exhort Gaius, one of his spiritual children. And he exhorts his spiritual children to live godly lives. And in verses 5 through 8, notice he says, beloved, you are faithful. You are faithful. And he goes on to describe in this passage of Scripture, not only the character of Gaius as he exhorts him, but look at verse 12, the the character of Demetrius. Now, the context of this passage, the immediate context is, if you look at verses 5 through 8, that Gaius has gone out and he has demonstrated hospitality, loving hospitality to traveling itinerant missionaries who are spreading the gospel in the first century AD and he commends him for this and then he goes on to exhort him to continue doing it but notice the contrast in character here between Demetrius and Diotrephes who's described in verses 9 and 10 Notice how this other individual is described there. Notice that he was he, he loved to be first. He was fond of being first that 's an interesting Greek word that he was unsubmissive he didn 't acknowledge authority. Notice that he gossiped maliciously. he was a slanderer he was a backbiter. He talked about people behind their back and there 's this list of five things that are characteristics of this one individual's life in contrast to Gaius and in contrast to Demetrius. This is a description of Christian character. And look at verse 11. Notice what he says. Doug read it for us. He says in verse 11, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And so what he's really saying is emulate, follow the example of Demetrius, but don't live like this other guy was living as he was described there in verses 9 and 10. This is a passage describing how we should be living as believers, as Christians in a spiritual family. You know, in our world today, there are three coins of self-worth. You know what they are? Brains Beauty in brawn. And so, if you're beautiful as a lady, or if you got a lot of brawn, if you're athletic as a guy, or if you're an intellectual, then you're a success in life. And those are the three coins of self worth in our culture, our society this morning in America. But if you read this passage of Scripture carefully, it's all about Christian character. John is concerned about the Christian character of the spiritual children that he's writing to. And you know what? I just want to tell you young people here this morning, you can major on being the greatest athlete in the world or you can win a beauty queen contest or you can be a fabulous intellectual. You can have brains, beauty, and brawn, but you know what? That won't take you very far in life. The thing that will take you to the end of the road is character, character. And John was concerned about the character of his spiritual children. And he talks about that in the middle section of this passage. How many of you follow baseball? Molly, you're a baseball fan. I didn't know that. You got to come to church and learn something about your church family. Well, we got at least one baseball this morning. You remember when the New York Yankees were battling the Kansas City Royals, and I'm sorry that Mike and Kim aren't here this morning because she's a big Royals fan. But you remember when they 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 did their they battled in the World Series years ago when George Brett was playing for the Royals, and I think Dick Houser was the manager for the Kansas City Royals at that time. He went on to die of a brain tumor, and he had two surgeries for cancer of the brain. And this is what his wife wrote in Sports Illustrated at that time. As a child, I was brought up to believe that it was not whether you won or lost, but how you played the game. Then in the real world, I found out that to be all wrong, there I learned you have to win to get anywhere. That's the value system of our culture today. And it didn't matter how you did it. But now, after what has happened to my husband, Dick, I realize that my priorities in the so-called real world were all wrong. Now Dick and I know that the old way was the right way. You know it really and truly is how you play the game that really matters. And if you take your Bible home with you today and you reread verses 5 through 12, you'll see that John has a great concern for the character, the character of these spiritual children that he's writing to. And then finally, the last heartbeat, individual interaction. Verses 13 and 14. Notice how John concludes this short letter. "'I have much to write to you,' he says." But I don't want to do so with Penanique. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face-to-face. Underline that phrase, face-to-face. In the age of Facebook, in this Facebooking world that we live in, John was all about individual interaction. He wanted to interact on a personal level, face to face, with Gaius, this son in the faith, and these spiritual children that he's writing to. And that's the fourth heartbeat, I think, of a loving, effective father, not a perfect father. But you see John's heart come through here. He's not satisfied with just an email, or a text message, pen and paper. He wants to interact with them on a face-to-face level, and he's looking forward to that. You can impress people from a distance, but you impact your children and those that you love most on a personal level by interacting with them individually, individually. Many years ago, someone passed this note to James Dobson, authority on the family, And it read this way. You probably read it in one of his books. Will you please discuss this? Dad arrives home. He reads the newspaper. He eats dinner. He talks on the phone. He watches TV. He takes a shower. He goes to bed. And this is a constant daily routine. It never changes. On Sunday, we go to church. Then we come home. We take a nap. And then it's back to work again on Monday morning. Our daughter is nine and we're not communicating and life is speeding by in this monotonous routine. There was no individual, personal interaction face-to-face. And incidentally, you can be at home and guess what? You can be a couch potato. You can lay there on the couch and you can be there And you can be present, but you're not really present. You're just tuned out. You're not really connecting. John wanted individual interaction with these spiritual children. And I think that's the the final mark of a good father that we see in this epistle here today. Okay. Well, I want to close with just one more story. It's a story that Kim Tim, Tim Kimmel tells. On his desk, he says, he keeps six pictures. On the left-hand side is a picture of the hospital that he was born in. Tim Kimmel, incidentally, is from Newcastle, Pennsylvania. So here's this picture of this hospital in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where he was born. And at the opposite end on the right-hand side of his desk is a picture of the family gravestone where his mom and dad and his parents were buried. And in between is a picture of his wife and his three daughters, his children. And he says that he keeps those pictures there for one very simple reason, to remind him during the midst of his workday that this is where he checked in And this is where he's going to check out. And those people whose pictures are in between those two places are what are really important in life. Don't forget it. The most significant investment you'll ever make as a father is the investment that you'll make. Or as a grandfather in the life of those little ones that God is brought into your life, or maybe those big ones now, even today. So let's review as we close. Unconditional love is the foundation of not being a perfect dad, but of at least being somewhat effective. And the four heartbeats of a father that we see in this epistle today are these. Don't forget to pray for your children. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that they will prosper. Rejoice, but rejoice in the right things and the fact that they're living the right way. Be concerned for their character and value face-to-face time, individual interaction. Don't forget to connect. Let's bow together in prayer. Now, we're not going to end with a hymn this morning. I want to end by just giving you dads and you granddads a moment of silence before we walk out of this room and eat pie. Would you let the Holy Spirit tap you on the shoulder for just a minute? What's he saying to you today? As you think about our heavenly father who we've worshipped and all of his attributes... And as you think about the third epistle of John, is there one thought here this morning that you've heard the Holy Spirit whisper to your heart? I want this to be in your heart as a dad. Write it down. Remember it. And put it into practice. Sometime the rest of this week. Lord, may it be so. As we leave here today, may these not just be words printed on the page of the Bible. May they not just be words that we heard in a sermon. But Holy Spirit, enable us to live, to live the heart of a Father in the relationship of those that you put in our life. We ask in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory, amen. Go in God's grace and peace.